Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey there, welcome to Rule for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Steven Glicker, and in this week's special episode, I sit down with Paizo's Tonya Woldridge to talk all about Pathfinder and Starfinder society play, what has happened in the past, and what to expect in the future, as there's a lot of changes coming up. I recorded this two weeks ago at Gen Con, right at the height of society play. Every year, Gen Con is kind of the culmination of all things society. That's usually where a lot of storylines for the year end, new ones begin. They have these huge specials where everyone's playing together. They have tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people playing endless amounts of society games. It's the end-all, be-all of society. If you want to be somewhere and you're into society, Gen Con is the place to be. However, with the release of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, this was a big chance to hit the reset button and start over, not only just with the storyline, but also how society is going to be run in the future. Because you know what? Society's been around now for a good 11 years or so, and they've learned a lot, not just from doing Pathfinder Society for, well, 11 years, but doing Starfinder Society for the last two years. And Starfinder Society has exploded in popularity. So they learned a lot of new things. They changed the way things are managed within society. For those of you have played society in the past you're going to learn a whole bunch of like what to expect in the near future for those of you brand new society and just want to learn about it we have a whole section in this interview explaining society and what it is in addition we talk about society within paizo because society is getting bigger and bigger and they've added more and more people to the team and people have been moved and shifted around on the team as well and we talk about that as well Plus, if you like society, we've actually run a few society games on our channel. That's right. We ran a couple of Starfinder Society games last year. If you look at the backlog of the podcast, you can find those. Those were a lot of fun. I kind of stopped them for technical reasons and time reasons. It was actually very tricky. However, I'm actually going to be starting them up again, although this time I'm going to be starting a Pathfinder Society. I'm going to probably start with the quest system. The quest are these one-hour adventures where I'll be able to get people in and out really quick. You'll be able to hear everyone come into the adventure. We'll play for like an hour or two. We'll wrap it up, and it'll be over. So you'll hear an entire adventure in one podcast. You don't need to have it split between two or three or four episodes or hundreds of episodes. In the case of Adventure Paths, these quests are going to allow us to do an entire session in one itty bitty teeny tiny podcast and the best part is I can just rotate in people left and right. It's going to be a lot easier for people from Paizo to join me. It's going to be a lot easier for even my friends and other podcasters to join me. It's going to be a great opportunity and we're starting that really really soon so be on the lookout for that shortly. 
And of course, don't forget, do check out our Starfinder Dead Sons Adventure Path. We're about to hit episode 100, but that's okay. You can start at episode 91 if you want to jump right in. We have a whole recap of everything that happened beforehand. And of course, the Fall of Plague Stone, which is zipping right along because Pathfinder 2 is really fast. So do check those out. And of course, tons of interviews. We interview a lot of people from Paizo, so be on the lookout for that. And of course, reviews. We're going to have a review for the Lost Omens World Guide very, very soon. So be on the lookout for that. Anyhow, with that, let's sit down and talk to Tonya. Hey everyone, this is Steve, and I'm sitting here with Tonya Woldridge, the organized play manager of Paizo, and we are going to be talking about all the things that have come and changed and have come about in the world of organized play, because let me first say to you, Tonya, that I think you need a rest. I'm going to say you, of everyone, everything that's going on, so you have Pathfinder 2 launching, and you have Gen Con, and you have the biggest organized play event of the entire year. I'm going to say, do you just want to sit here and just rest for a while? We don't actually have to do the interview. I'll tell you that right now. No, no, I want to talk. Um, <laughs> no rest ever. Uh, it's, it's been a long, I'll say, three years, because we had the Starfinder Society launch, uh -huh. then we did the playtest uh, part of Society, and now we're doing the second edition launch. Um, we have no plans for one next year, so it looks like things are slowing down. But, but we won't rest, not completely. Because, I mean, I've been thinking about it, because I've been talking to everyone, and everyone on the team has been going crazy. But you, it's hard enough when you have to organize the Gen Con Society play, but then with everything changing with society and then with Pathfinder 2? Our team has been busy. We've been, <laughs> well, we've been talking on this one since they told us that we were going to have a new edition. We all kind of looked at each other and went, okay, what does that mean for organized play? And talking about it day one, what do we want to try? What would we want to change? What do we want to keep the same? What kind of a play experience do we want to give? And making it accessible for new players, but continuing storylines from the last 11 years. There were a lot of discussions and a lot of thought that went in, um, not just by myself, but John Compton, Linda Zayas Palmer, Michael Sayer, uh, and then we got Thirsty in there. He's our Starfinder developer, but we kind of brought him in and said, hey, what did you learn from Starfinder that we want to move over? And what can we do to make it a cohesive experience amongst all the societies, not just Pathfinder, Starfinder, or Pathfinder Adventure card game? But I actually want to go through what organized play is because I find, even today, that not everyone understands what organized play is. And I even remember very vividly the very first time that I did organized play, way before Pathfinder even existed. I went to Gen Con Anaheim, of all things. And I believe, yep, remember yep, that one? Yep, I do. <laughs> remember that weird offshoot? And I sat down and they're like, okay, you can play D&D and you get to keep your character and play with other people. And it was so mind-boggling, like, that's impossible. Like, the whole concept of weight. How is it possible that I could just take a character, play with anyone, and it's still balanced, and then just keep playing with random people? It just seems, it almost seems counterintuitive, but that's kind of the whole point. Right, right. We want an experience. Um, think of us as the team back at Paizo is the GM for this campaign. So we're setting the baseline rules. What can you bring in? What's good from a source book? What are we, how are we going to frame it? And then we release it into the hands of our other GMs to implement those guidelines and those campaign rules. And so we can go worldwide, 
because that central umbrella focuses for someone in Europe, for someone in Asia, for someone over here in the States, for our Canadians, anywhere you want to go, we can have that same baseline of core rules. And the whole point of organized play is that you can take your character and then you can play an adventure with anyone. And you can just go play and it should be fairly balanced every single time you play those adventures with different people. Correct. There's, we're introducing a little bit more GM flexibility mm -hmm. so that they can respond to what's happening at their table because we can't see that. But we still want to make sure that you're fighting the same monsters, you're going through the same dungeons, you're undercounting the same NBCs. So all of that framework is consistent from one person to the next to the next. And all these adventures are mostly four to five hours per adventure. There's some quests that are an hour long, and there's also multiple part adventures, uh, especially in the last few years, where it is four or five hour quests, but then you break it up into multiple parts. You can play it out of order, but if people want kind of a larger story, you can play it in order and have kind of a bigger experience. Exactly. So our course, our core year is, goes from Gen Con, to Gen Con for uh, Pathfinder Society. Starfinder Society goes origins to origins, um, but we're gonna focus on Pathfinder because that's the one we're talking about today. Right. And we look at what seven scenarios should be in part of our overall arching meta plot, and then everything else is a one adventure, two adventure arc that can be independent or um, played just on their own out of order. So you don't lose that story. We're trying to identify the meta arc better in second edition so that people can see that, play that piece more in order, so they get the overarch. But then they can get rid of, or play on a one-off here and there. We're also experimenting, the quest came out and we wanted one hours because the stores and some of the schools have said we can't run a four to five hour adventure, that's just too long, and you don't tell us where to break it, so we can break it, but then we have to make sure everyone shows up the second week and is here, and so we're looking at maybe two hour adventures. How can we make our system flexible which has led to the 12 XP change in second edition society. So it used to be you needed to play three scenarios, get one XP a scenario, uh, and then you'd get your level. Now you play three scenarios, you get four experience a level, or four experience a scenario, and you get your level. So it's the same numbers, it's just expanded. So a quest is now worth one. If we had a two hour, it would be worth two. If we had a six hour, it could be worth six. So it's all variable for us. Um, our rough equation is one experience per one hour played, but that is not uh, 100% because then when you get into the adventure paths, which we've sanctioned for play, you can play those over six months, but you're not going to get six months worth of hours of, of experience. You're going to get the one per section that you've played. And so if you wanted to get into organized play, because I get that question a lot, like what is the best way? I mean, right now, I mean, I run the Roll for Combat online lodge at our Discord channel. And we do, well, organized play, and we have like 75 tables going on of both Starfinder and Pathfinder, and we play on Discord. And you could also do play by post, mm -hmm. and obviously you could do it live, which is what we're here today doing. Right. The best way to find us is through our volunteer program, and that is hosted by Organized Play Foundation, and they have a website, organizedplayfoundation.org slash paizo. We'll take you to the paizo program specifically. And there is a list of coordinators there that will show you your location that you live in and who to contact. And then from that, are they're called regional, regional venture coordinators, and they can get you in contact with someone in your city or in your state They can help walk you through. And if you don't have anyone <laughs> in your city or state, they can help onboard you and show you how to run organized play in your area and what is needed 
there's a little bit of reporting that we ask to be done just so we know who's playing our games and where they're kind of at. Mm -hmm. And so we can, they can keep an eye on their communities and help foster growth, help give support. So we do keep a little bit of, of record keeping, but that's about it to be an organized play jam. And if you actually want to get the rules, this is, I mean, we're going to talk about, I'm trying to do sort of the overarching of what organized play is, but there's been a lot of new items and new changes to Pathfinder organized play with the second edition. And we'll get into that right now is that, so in the past, something you would do right away is download the guide. Mm -hmm. That would give you the overview of how organized play is set up with the differences between organized plays and standard Pathfinder or Starfinder. But I noticed that now the guide is online and is a living document as opposed to just a PDF that you download. Correct, which allows us to update things much faster because it used to be we'd put them out once a year and anything that changed in between there, we might put in a blog or we might send out an email, but we, we would miss people and it would get buried and then we'd have to remember to put it into the next update and we lost some things and made it really hard for people to know where to find their information. So we took it online. It's being hosted at the organizedplayfoundation.org website because it is uh, part of our community. And it allows us to do things like a quick start guide, which is the first two pages gives you what you need to know if you just want to walk up and start playing. And then as you delve into it, it tells you more what to expect out of organized play as a whole, what to expect as a player, what to expect as a GM what to expect as an event organizer. It also lists our coordinators there, so you can find them again as part of the guide. It talks about how to fill out the reporting and the chronicle sheets. Everything you need is in there, but we give you a quick snapshot first to get you playing, and then we tell you more detail later. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, I'm a big proponent of everything online because I imagine that the growth and dynamic nature of organized play needed something like this. As you said, it's like, the, or, you know, the people who actually organize, the venture captains, the venture organizers, they need to be listed somewhere. In the past, it was just sort of like somewhere on your website, but now it's a place that you can go and find them much more easily. It can be updated more easily. Exactly. You can change the rules as necessary. And then, as you said, you can do little quick start guides. You can put little videos up. You can do like exactly what you're there for. If you're there just to build a character, here's how you build a character. If you're there to know how to do GM reporting, you can do GM reporting. You don't have to download a PDF and start flipping through and find your specific section. And you can search it. Exactly. It's all hyperlinked, so it's all very mobile. You can get around it. And we save trees because we're not asking people to print a new one every single year. Because when you add 70, 80,000 people into printing one of these for every person, it becomes a lot of paper. And I also imagine it was necessary because I was just talking to Thirsty about this. I remember I would look at the table numbers for organized play. And, you know, a couple years ago, I was at table like number like 10,000, 15,000. Last year I looked and I was table number. I did a new table for our online campaign. It was 250,000. Mm -hmm. I went lit earlier this year. It was 501,000. I was like, what the heck is going on? That's a is lot of tables. Growing and exploding, and as more people hear, hey, can you report this so we can do it, they are appreciative and they put their information in. One of the things that we started with Starfinder Society was a living campaign feel. Mm -hmm. So what the people are doing at their tables, they report back to us on these reporting sheets. We're pulling that data and writing new scenarios based on what the players have decided to do. So for Starfinder recently, we released a race, a new race to play for everyone because of how they interacted with them in an earlier scenario. We're also choosing our new leadership based on what people want to do. So we've got four community members 
that are in contention to be the next uh, first seeker of the Starfinder Society. On Pathfinder Society, we do the same thing. We're taking that reporting documents, and who knows what you'll see from our first three scenarios that launched here at Gen Con, and from what we're gathering worldwide in the next coming months. So let's go into some of the big changes. So for those of you who are very familiar with society and have done it for a long time, what has changed and what have you learned for a second edition? I obviously saw the reporting sheets are new. I saw the factions are new. I saw the way treasures handle is new. And I sat down and played with, let's see, we had myself, we had half of No Direction, we had Order of the Amber Die, and we all looked at these sheets and we were like, wow, we might actually have to figure this out and look things up because we didn't know what the heck we were looking at. So why don't you, why don't you help me out here? The biggest change is that in Society First Edition, we made some rules that did not live in the game, in the Pathfinder game. Mm -hmm. And so the play experience between Pathfinder Society and Pathfinder role-playing game kind of diverged in some ways in day job checks in what you had to look up to know. You couldn't just open the book and say this was this is valid. You had to go to additional resources, you had to go to campaign clarifications, and you had to go to the FAQ to make sure everything could be used. When we went into this, we talked to the design team and the developers, we said we'd really like to just use the book that people purchase. Can we get in there and start looking at things and maybe discuss some rules that wouldn't work in a large play environment and can we come up with a balance? And one of the designers, Mark Seifter, has actually been doing organized play for years. He started as a volunteer before he came on board as a Paizo staff. So he's very familiar with what we need to do a worldwide campaign. In doing that, we now sanction 95% of the new core rulebook. The last 5% is the uncommon items and the rare items, which will be coming out on Chronicles for use, two feats, and we give everyone a Wayfinder because Pathfinders, that is the symbol of their office. What are the two feats? Oh, I'm not the best one to answer <laughs> oh, that question. Well, I was just curious. They're up on organizedplayfoundation.org in the new guide. <laughs> one of go. them was an, uh, an adjudication issue for the GMs, so to help make it clean, we changed it just slightly so that the GMs would be a consistent adjudication, and one of them we had to take out. But that's a lot of content that we're able to use, which means instead of saying, here's a chart or here's something that's unique to society you need to know, we can say, go to page X in the core rulebook, here's the information you need. So what else did you learn about just how to organize the chronicles and how to organize the reporting? For myself, one small thing that was done is that the actual tickets for the events were being collected by the muster stations rather than the GM. Small but important change. So other small important changes that you discovered? Oh, well the ticketing is because Gen Con wants to go to e-tickets next year completely. Right. They're rolling it out this year as a test. So we said we need to start getting our marshals to collect them so that we can respond to that next year if we have to do barcode scanning and they were already kind of in that mindset. Um, our big one that we wanted was accessibility. We had heard, especially in the last three, four years of the Pathfinder Society campaign, that, oh, these people have stacks of boons, we don't have anything, they've got all these character options, we don't have anything, we can't get to conventions, so we, or we have a reason we can't GM, so we can't have the race shinies that we wanted to play. There was a lot of that accessibility. And so one of the things the team wanted to do was change that up. Now, instead of giving out boons and paper, again, save trees, we've moved it all on lines and we're giving points. We're giving achievement points. 
And those achievement points will be spendable when you go into your My Organized Play page at paizo.com to buy a new ancestry or a new background unlock or some of these uncommon and rare items. So you just have to earn your points. GMs earn them a little faster as a thank you for the time and effort it takes to GM, but everyone's earning the points. Everyone can get to those special shiny character options. Mm. It's almost like an MMO model where instead of you going on specific raids to get specific magic items and rare items, you can then just get points that you can then spend on anything you want specifically to your character so that you can really, you know, it's everyone wins. It's like they are able to get exactly what they want for their character and then they also don't feel the pressure that they have to go to Gen Con or Origins if they can't make it there that year or something. Right. I mean, we realize that conventions are expensive and that not everyone has means, but we want everyone to play our games. So we're really trying to search those ways to get books into libraries, to get them into schools. Um, I said from the beginning, I never want to make someone choose between playing a role-playing game and eating dinner. And that has been a very big motivator on how we structure the society now, is that you can get your options without necessarily having the means and the ability to travel and get to a large show. I mean, even for myself, an online play, I mean, this sounds insane. I live in New York, and you can't find an organized play game in New York face-to-face. -face. And people are like, no, you live in, like, there's 20 million people there. That's impossible. It's like, yeah, there's no space. Space is a premium. It's very hard to get people together. It's very easy to get the people together virtually, however. So for myself and actually a lot of people, we like to play online just because it's a lot easier for us you know it's just that's the only way i can really play uh, organized play is either online or at conventions and that's it yeah and even conventions in new york don't happen because no. the space is at a premium and when you can find it it's just so expensive right. you know and again you know means and accessibility want we want to get it to the best to the biggest group we can the easiest way we can and that's why we formed the online regions law you know and made it as its own region was so that we could reach out to people that didn't have access or we've now got people talking about playing in the space stations or space station the uh weather station down in antarctica and sending books down there because they can virtually come into our online mm. presence and play games where they we're, we're not going to have a lot of people in Antarctica that want to get together in one location. I want people from Antarctica. Actually, that'd be great. If you get the International Space Station, uh -huh. you get Antarctica, you get the North Pole. I think this would be fantastic. That's my goal. That's the only <laughs> continent we don't have organized play on is Antarctica. Really? Really. We're on six of the seven continents. Wow. We've got a couple <laughs> of contacts down there. We've been talking to them because oh. I'd really like to see that happen. So I'm putting it out there. Anyone else got contacts, email me, organizedplay at paizo.com, and we'll, we'll talk. Oh, that, that, uh, there you go. Maybe you get a special boon just for uh, playing in Antarctica. There you go. You might actually, you know what, I know how, I know some of these people, they might just do that. We might. might. They might just take a little trip down there just to get that boon. Make something super rare. <laughs> Always. It's the collectible edition of uh, organized play. One of the other things we looked at too when we were speaking of changes is the factions. It, we have some beloved faction leaders that have been uh, with us for 11 years and they really are, are close to home for a lot of hearts, but that doesn't mean a new player knows all that backstory and all that weight that's in our, our canon for our, our campaign. So we wanted to find a way to keep them in it, but still make these factions feel fresh, uh, make the people in them 
you might know them from a scenario too, but they haven't been leaders in the society before. And, spoiler alert, we lost a number of society leaders in the siege with the Whispering Tyrant that wrapped up our first edition campaign. So we had to balance that one out. All factions were new. They are combinations of other thoughts from the first edition factions. So you will see Dark Archive echoed in what is now the Grand Archive. But Zarda is no longer in charge. She's now a mentor and a contact for the Pathfinders, not a faction leader. Uh, we introduced the Uruxi, which are our lizard folk coming out in the next, one of the next hardback books as one of our faction leaders to make sure that they were there and in place at the beginning so that when you encounter them after the, the book comes out, you'll be able to relate back to and go, oh, I kind of already know this group because I met them through the society. And one of our favorite NPCs is coming over from first edition, Valace. And we had a huge arc about her and her redemption cycle. And now she has stepped up to lead one of our factions. We also have thinking, going in the Wayback Machine uh, to season two, season, summon season one, the Shadow Lodge. And it was a playable faction and then we took it out of play and heard a lot of why from the player base. And so we wanted to respond to that. And we didn't want to bring it back in its just pure form as Shadow Lodge, but we wanted to recognize what its uh, background was, what its motives were, that it was about protecting the Pathfinders themselves, not as an organization, but as individuals. And so we've made the Envoys Alliance. And that's kind of the faction of, we're here to support each other. We're here to make sure everyone comes home. If you need a welcoming hand, come in. And if you look at the symbol, it's open doors with light behind it, very much drawing you in and asking you to be welcome in the society. That was my faction, by the way. Uh, anything, I wouldn't call it evil. It's like the Tal Shiar in Star Trek. It's like, you need someone who will get the job done. You need someone who's going to get in there and get dirty and do the jobs that no one else wants to do. <laughs> you do, but their leader, Grandmaster Torch, has been such a polarizing factor for so many years. Though, if you want some resolution with Grandmaster Torch and you played first edition, you want to check out 1022 and 1023. It is the final capstone adventures for tiers 12 to 18 wow. that will let you see the end of your first edition and then move cleanly into a second edition play. What about hats? Where's hats? Hats is Thurston's, and he went missing <laughs> for a little while. He relocated to some Absalom sewers for a little while. We've kind of sent him places, but he is missing in action at this point. Um, we haven't quite decided where, or well, I haven't quite decided, and it's not really my decision. It's more Thirsty's, uh, where he wants to, him to pop up next. But I know he's probably not gone too far because he is a favorite NPC, just like uh, my favorite NPC, Generic Gravics is now the head of initiates in the Pathfinder Society. So if you're being trained as a society member, you'll come into contact with her. Because I was like, you can't get rid of her, she's mine. So. I love hats. The artwork is always so funny. That's the best part. <laughs> I love seeing what the community's done with it. There's a little plushy hats floating out there. Lots of miniatures have been made of him. Some Lego figures with little hats. So it's neat to see what our community takes from our scenarios and latches onto and wants to see more of, and that's what we try and revisit. We really watch what's showing up on our social media feeds, 
what pictures get sent in and say, hey, we really like this scenario. Even emails, I really adored this. Thank you very much for putting this person in there because we want to offer and we never know. We're writing so much and we're developing so much, we're never quite sure which characters or which locations are going to be those favored pieces until we hear back. So because there's so much history, what do you would suggest is the best way for people maybe to get a crash course? I do know because I have and have read the Lost Omens World Guide and the Lost Omens World Guide does go into not just the history of all the major adventure paths, but major events that have happened in society play and that does cover that in the world guide but if you want to you know just do it on your own do you know of any good resources or places that you can even just read up or find out some of the major events that have occurred you know in your mind pathfinder wiki really has a great comprehensive look yeah. at the world of galarian mm -hmm. and it includes a lot of the society pieces as well so the people that maintain that have done a wonderful job keeping in into our history one of the other things you can do, it doesn't give you as much of the backstory, but if you've played the first edition society, you'll see some Easter eggs while still introducing everything to the newer player base, is 100 Origins of the Open Road. The glyph of the open road is the Pathfinder Society symbol. And so we wanted to go back into some of the history of the society and delve into some things we've never learned before. So 100 starts that process. Uh, 101, 102, 103, I'll build on that, introduce the factions, introduce a little side quest that we haven't quite done with a cryptid hunt. But they're in there trying to give you that basis of this is what a society adventure looks like. The Pathfinder Society is an archaeological entity. This is what they do. We've stepped back from the world schema. We're going to save the world wound. We're going to go fight the Whispering Tyrant and save humanity and all other ancestry entities. Uh, and we've kind of refocused on what does it mean to be a Pathfinder and what do you need to know. We've uh, expressed more into the how do you get trained because we've said once in a, throw, in, in a throwaway line in one book, it said you spend three years learning to be a Pathfinder agent. And there's three schools, spells, scrolls, and swords. And that was it. And here's three masters that run these schools. And we never really delved into what that meant. So now, one of the key pieces you get to choose as a character is do I want to be part of the spells, part of the scrolls, part of the swords? We give you three points to put into your training. Or you can be a field commissioned agent. You've done everything out and they said, hey, that was a really good job you did for us here. Do you want to join? And you can come in. And each of them gives you a different benefit in game as an example of what you've done and what you've learned and the contacts you've made while you were being schooled in that area. So you can spread them all out and be a generalist, or you can focus really tightly in one of them. And we looked at it, we were debating what to call them, and we kind of went, well, are they colleges in the school? You know, is this your university? And we kind of look at it as it's your, your mentors as your training, and then your factions are your sororities and fraternal organizations of like-minded people that are gathering together. They like to do, and they like to go out because of this motto or because they all like to they all are looking for that next horizon they're trying to get out there and and explore and get themselves published in books and be be the next Durvin guest of the society or we've got the others you know we want to protect the world from the evil therefore we're going to find it contain it destroy it seal it away in a vault we're going to get it out of people's hands and into a safe place and the society is a safe place and that is vigilance shield We've got the Verdant Wheel. Uh, that was another one that came from our uh, public, which is 
we didn't want a Druid's faction or a Nature's faction per se, but we wanted something that epitomized that whole growth, rebirth, destruction cycle that's in the world. And so it, it, it's both of them. So, you know, you've got the Blight Druid that says, oh, things are taking over too much, I need to destroy this. And then you've got the, the Nature person or the growth person that says, nope, nope, I want to help grow this area and bring it back. Uh, that's our verdant wheel. And then we have one more, which is Radiant Oath, which is we're out there, we're a light to do good. We are trying to help others better themselves through our resources. So really, we've gone much more on ideals and why you travel, and that is the faction system now, instead of being what was first a geographically based uh, unit and then was a competing for society resources unit. So it seems like this is a pretty hard reset, which is, you know, it's not like a soft reset where it's like, oh, okay, you know, we kept some of the factions around, we kept some of the leaders. It's like, no, we have systematically changed kind of what Pathfinder Society is, what it does, how it stands for. You have brand new factions, um, but all for the better. It's not like, you know, it's like a next chapter. It's not like, oh, anything that happened in the last 10 years didn't actually happen. It all occurred, but now a lot of things have changed. A lot of leaders have been, <laughs> well, either killed or removed yeah. through various uh, Tarbafon shenanigans. And it's been time to sort of start over, not only story-wise, but then it's clean for anyone who wants to come into the game, who wants to, you know, jump into society and they don't feel like they have to know 10 years of backstory. Exactly, but we can put enough little Easter eggs and callbacks in that if you did play that first 10 years, 11 years, you go, oh, 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 I remember this location, or I remember this NPC, or I've got it. So we're, we're trying to balance that both. Say thank you to those players that started, but also welcome all the brand new players that we hope will come into organized play with our second edition. So tell me more about quests, because that I'm very interested in. Just because, you know what, it's like four to five hours especially since I play mostly online, you can't finish it. Like, I can never finish a four. It's just very hard when you're playing online. Just distractions, you're at home, you got dogs barking, kids, who knows, watching TV. You hear people, like, goofing off in the background, you know. It's a little different than when you're, like, at the table where all they have is their iPad and their cell phone out. So we usually have to do, like, you know, two or three sessions to get that done. And kind of the whole point of, the, you know, doing society is that you can do it really quick. But I like this. It's like a one or two hour session. You're in and you're done. That sounds great. Well, like I said, we had a lot of places say we can give you one or two hours of space or one or two hours of time, right. but we can't give you that long one. So we had done quest packs for the last five years, but they had been five arcing story, West start, an end, three you could play in any order that still felt like you had to play them as a whole or you at least needed to schedule them concurrently over different days. And that model was not quite what we needed. So we went back and we said, okay, what happens if we just make these one hour, one shot? They do tie into the Pathfinder world and they do use Pathfinder Society characters, but they don't involve the meta plot, so you're not missing out on any of that storyline. And they let you get in, have an encounter, have a couple of situations and come out. The first one is a little more complex in that there are different NPC choices, there are different task choices, there are different ways you can put it together. I think it comes out to nine or ten different pieces and we made it replayable. 
So knowing that this one was the first one, we kind of put a heavier burden on it so you could use it multiple times until we can get Quest 2, 3, 4, 5 published. Because we will have one a month now going forward, at least to the end of the year, and then we're reevaluating what our schedules are, what our time is, and if we can continue this program further. Is it serving the need that we're trying to fill, or do we need to pivot a little bit? Given that this is a brand new game and we're still trying to feel our way, do we need to, to mess up, you know, change that formula up a little bit? I mean, personally, I think it's, I think it's very, very good. My, you know, for someone who's only been doing this like, you know, 40 plus years, I'm going to officially tell you, I think it's an excellent idea. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I have kids and I want, they want to play, mm -hmm. but they don't want to play something brand new for that long. They yeah. just don't. So you give them a little adventure that's an hour or so long and that's perfect. That's all they need. Asking them to play something for four or five hours might be too much depending on the kid so it's going to be a lot easier sell to get people into the game and try it out for an hour-long commitment there are nights i don't have the attention span right. for four <laughs> or five hours coming out of a, a day of work or right. you know at the end of a con all i want is something to sit down and play with my friends and roll so i was very you know john compton put this out to us and said hey team i'd like to really do this and he was the the lead proponent on it and we kind of went, yeah, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's follow on. Let's go ahead and do this and support it in that vision. And that's kind of how our team operates is one of us will bring and say, hey, this is my idea. What do you think? And we kind of shake it around in, in our meetings and then we take it in and we, we try and run with it. But we've heard from a lot of people that one, getting into the society is kind of intimidating because there's a lot of society lore and other pieces that you need to know. And the other one is paying four to five hours is kind of intimidating in some ways because it just doesn't fit well with a lifestyle. So we're trying to answer both of those questions. And I think you'll hear a lot more from us in the next couple of months, but that also means we need feedback. So again, organized play at paizo.com is my email. I'm happy to send it to anyone else in the company. So if you don't know if it's really an organized play question or not, you can still send it to me and I'll go on and pass it on and get it back to design or get it back to the developers or even up to our publisher and say, hey, this is what we're hearing because we produce games that our players want to play, and to do that, we need to hear back from our players as well. I do also like the concept of it's almost like, when I was a kid, I read Choose Your Own Adventure books. Oh mm -hmm. man, that was like, you know, that was, that was my organized play. <laughs> and I, I imagine a lot of other people, and it sounds like this first adventure is almost like a Choose Your Own Adventure where you could just play it over and over and have different endings. It is, it is. One of the th other changes that we made to the second edition society is the introduction of tags. We've used them in Starfinder to great success, and so now we're starting to put the repeatable tag on many of our adventures. Especially this first year, we are making much more repeatable content than maybe in, in future years because we know it's the only thing that's coming out, and we're filling that gap, and we want people to be able to play. So we're adding those replayable pieces to it. By responding to that tier one to four, and then as people level up, we will start producing tier three to six. That was another change that we introduced with Starfinder Society that we kept for Pathfinder Society second edition, was instead of a tier one to five, with that middle gap kind of odd, we're making it four, four level tiers. And then we now have a new way of calculating table, what the, the level of the table is, that will make it much smoother and hopefully much cleaner to run a table that is challenging, but not deadly for any of our players coming in. Because you always want to be on that, that knife's edge of, oh my goodness, what could happen? But watching character death and watching failure is never an, a good experience at a table. You know, and so we want to balance that one out. Well, I don't know. I had some pretty fun last night killing off my characters. 
So let me tell you, we played 1-0-0, Ron Lundin. You play the fifth level Iconics. Fun adventure. But let me tell you, when you triple crit someone and do 150 points of damage and bring him down to dying six, Ooh. there's not much left of that character. <laughs> no, I, I think that's pulp at that point. Yeah, that yeah. was Perum. Oh. And I looked at him and I said, the whole funny thing is that right before he played, he did a previous adventure with Jason Bowman and they all died. So I was like, let me get this straight. You haven't survived a single character in Pathfinder 2nd Edition yet. And the answer is no. <laughs> so you're saying I should not play at a table with Param if I want to have... No, you shouldn't play my table. Well, your table with <laughs> Or gotcha. Param's to be. Or Jason's for that matter. Oh, I've known Jason's been a deadly jam for a while now. <laughs> well, it wasn't even my fault. It was like, because of the new crit system, all you need is 10 or higher. And it was a triple attack, and it's, uh, I won't say what it is, but it doesn't have any negatives. So I rolled a 19, a 19, and a 19. And then I just look at Param, and he just is like... He doesn't even say anything. I was just like, I think you're dead. <laughs> and I rolled the damage for the first one. It was 54 damage. He goes, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I, they're, they're, they're hardy, but not that much. Um, yeah, speaking of death, we introduced a boon in Pathfinder Society, first edition, that was the Welcome to Pathfinder boon, that said, here, have a little bit of extra consumable, extra healing, just in case you're, you know, we don't want you to lose your dash one character. Uh, we actually were sitting in a meeting the other day going, are we going to do this for second edition? And we started talking about all the ways we could and adding everything in. And finally, uh, Michael Sayer, he raised his hand. He goes, I think we're getting too complex. We're adding too many widgets in. And we, we figured out that we've already given a lot of extra healing to those first level characters, but we never actually discussed this fifth level pre-gen character. So we might have to go back and revisit well, it. Well, it wasn't that bad. It was only Kira the healer that got killed. Oh, so. only... <laughs> Only the, the Well, you know what? All the PCs gathered their money together because mm -hmm. I guess you get 150 gold or something. Yep. Or they, and so they took all their money and they resurrected him. Aww. So he still has this 101 or 1001 character. That's good because I'd hate him to have started out and, not, and lost the dash one. But the good thing about society is you can have dash two, dash three, dash 108, dash. So we started the society characters at 2000. Mm -hmm. So that we could say second edition, 2000 is your character. 2001 mm -hmm. is your character number. So kind of a little Easter egg there to call it out. And what level does it get? Does it still come to level 12? Or where does this sort of end now? We don't know. Oh. I was we, wondering, because I was like, I, don't, I didn't read it anywhere. Does, did, was that decided? Did I miss something? And I guess the official answer is, it'll go to whatever. <laughs> we will continue to add levels until we get to a point it breaks down in convention play yeah. or we exceed that five hour, because that five hour cap is kind of our hard cap. We really shoot for the four. But if all the streamlined pieces that we've put into it really streamline the game so much, we could have 18, 19, 20th level play in an organized play environment. We stopped doing the above 12 because it started bogging down and combats took an hour and you could only do one thing, which really wasn't a full scenario. And it got suited better for a group that was playing in, in a consistent environment where things could go over multiple sessions. And that's why we capped it. But we, don't, we haven't capped Starfinder yet because we're still waiting to see where that upper level pushes. And we'll do the same with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And also you mentioned only because the, one of the first times I did a special, I got a table of 12th level or 11th level mm -hmm. characters. 
and they just destroyed that thing to the point that it wasn't even fun. Yeah. And then the second year when I did organized play and I did the special, I got another table of 11th level characters and I said to them all, look, you make a deal. I said to them, we're going to make a deal here. You guys don't go OP and I won't coup de gras. And I said that and you see all the blood go out of their faces because that's like the worst thing you could say. And we had a great time, but it's still, it's very hard to keep it balanced at those higher levels. So I'd be very curious to see because it looks like Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the math is extremely tight, much more linear. So hopefully you'll be able to go up to level 13, 14, 15 and still have the game a little bit better balanced. But actually my original question was, is there more leeway you were mentioning for the GMs now? So if they are, even if they're playing organized play, that if they see, okay, these are super optimized characters, I could ratchet it up and still be on the organized play or Well, what a we did bit. was, it used to be an assumption that it was a six player table. Right. And we built all of the monsters and all the encounters to that assumption, mm -hmm. which meant that when we got four player tables or three players in a pre-gen, we had to worry about it. So we started writing to the bottom end of the six player adjust, uh, assumption. For second edition, we've written to a four-player assumption, and then you add monsters for five and six. And this new chart of how you figure out where your, your table sits allocates a value to each player there based on the level they are in that sub-tier. So if you're a first, we're looking at a first to fourth level adventure, if you're level one, you bring one point to the table. If you're level four, you bring six points to the table. And then we add those all up, and then we look on this table, and in some cases it says, you might be a table of four, but you're playing a six-player adjusted adventure, which will mean more bad guys, either in quantity or in uh, difficulty. And there are two bumps that we've put in there, and one of them is a bump to the monsters to make that challenge harder, and one of them is a bump to that first-level character that has always been so fragile in a fourth third, fourth level character environment. And so we're saying to you, one of the people at the table goes, hey, I'll be your mentor. And here, have a bump to your hit points, have a bump to your abilities. Now you matter, now you, what you do is gonna count in at the table too. So we've redone the entire math instead of using the APL system from first edition into trying to make it a better balanced system to the players that are actually sitting that table. And then I wanted to just go into the, how the treasure works now because it's treasure bundles? Correct. And what's that mean exactly? When we used to write them, we used to say, you find so much treasure in each location. And some GMs would say, well, you just, you played through the adventure, so you get all the treasure. I don't want to do the math. And some GMs would very much add it up. And uh, if you didn't encounter something or you didn't loot something or you didn't look at something or you used creative solutions and didn't even get into that area, you wouldn't get the treasure. And that really concerned us because it wasn't an even environment for everyone. So now we say everything comes in treasure bundles and each encounter has a value. Add them up at the end, multiply by what they're worth, that is the treasure. So we don't have these, you get 423 from this section and 130 from this section and now you have to do complex math. It's just a very simple count, multiply, done. So again, all those years of organized play, it's all coming to fruition. It's all coming together. You're making things simpler, more streamlined, a little uh, more elegant for both the players and the GMs. The G PCs can make characters how they want to make them. The GMs don't have to spend hours with paperwork. Exactly. We have a lot of collective knowledge. When First Edition's Society was written, 
back when, it really was a basis on the old RPGA years, but let's see what we can, can make into ours. And we have collectively on us, I want to say John has been with the team eight year, seven, eight years. Linda's been there six, seven years. I'm coming up just finishing my fourth year. Mark's been in there six, seven years. So we have collective knowledge of this program that allows us to go a lot of identifying what worked, what didn't work, what have people said to us over the years, how can we make that respond. And we know in the next couple of months we may not have hit the target exactly where we want it and we may come out. And that was one of the other reasons to go living document. We know there's going to need to be some tweaks. So I already can tell you I've had some uh, GMs come up to me and say, you know, we, we don't think we did the earned income quite right or maybe we gave them a little too much here. And I said, anything issued this weekend here, anything issued this weekend at PaizoCon UK or at Pop-Up Gen Con, if there's an error on the Chronicle sheet, don't worry about it we know this is a learning curve and we know that there's going to be some mistakes made and then we'll catch them all up and we'll all get on the same page and we'll start moving forward. In choosing not to do a season zero, we know that we're going to have to make some tweaks in our, in our year one. So before we wrap up, do you want to give me a little overview or what we should be looking forward to for season one? Season one, it's a back to the basics because we know we're asking people to learn a lot of things with the new game, so we don't want to add extra complexity on top of that. So our overarching plot is learning about the society, going into the history, visiting some lodges we haven't ever seen before, visiting some locations we haven't seen before, kind of a world tour of the Pathfinder Society lodges. And uh, finding out what those founders were doing when they wrote Chronicle 1, 2, 3, Four, and tying it into some of the new releases that Paizo will have out in their uh, upcoming months and some of the modules that have been announced um, that are coming out. And then year two, we're already planning year two and year three storylines. Of course you are. To start seeding some of those pieces into year one. So again, it feels like a living campaign and you go, oh yeah, I thought that was throwaway in year one, but now you're bringing it back to us in year three, year four, year five. And there's been some changes on the team, which means we'll see some changes uh, out in about uh, in the near future. Um, John Compton, I've mentioned him a couple of times, is actually moving on to the Starfinder team. He will be a senior developer there. Linda Zayas Palmer is moving into the organized play lead developer role. Michael Sayer is moving into one of the planning roles. And we will be adding to that team to fill us out and round out our numbers soon. So you'll see a little change just in that the personalities that are doing things, while it's consistent to some of us that have been there for a while, we will have some new ideas coming in with these new members. I would definitely recommend playing 1-00, because obviously anyone can play because you're playing Iconics. You get to check out the Nexus Lodge, which mm -hmm. is Lodge number two. And if you're like my guys, you get to go in and then destroy the place in their so-called adventure and by the time they left, there was nothing left of that poor lodge. They failed every check. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we, we decided that the Grand Lodge has taken some hits over the years. Well, now the Nexus Lodge took some hits. Yeah, and you know, you've had the archives flooded, and you've had a couple invasions. And we said, well, what happens if the, ar if the records aren't quite all there? What do you do? Oh, you go to the second lodge that nobody really has gone into. But now I hear those archives are gone. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you guys will be the ones to come save the lodge. And, and, and get the, the paperwork out that we need. Uh, all I know is they were already looking where the third one was by the time we were done, because uh, there wasn't much left of the second one. But I, I recommend that was a fun adventure, and uh, 
anything that has uh, has oozes in it. That's always uh, good in my book. I love them. I, I like I yeah I like oozes too. They can be fun, especially that hide in plain sight. You don't mm -hmm. know they're there till you step in them. Oh, it was a great adventure, and uh, and you won't feel bad at all killing off all their characters like I did. It's it's a beautiful thing. I hope to run that one soon. I, I, I've gotten to read them, but, you know, I get to read them through, and I go, oh, that's really good. And then I say, I'll run this soon, so maybe in a convention in the next couple of months. And where are you going to be? You're going to be traveling pretty soon in the near future. I am. I am heading in a couple of weeks to Fan Expo in Toronto, and then I'll be heading to SkullCon in Minneapolis-St. Paul in the middle of September, and then off to an Australian tour for PaizoCon Asia Pacific Whoa. and PAX Australia. Whoa. They're back-to-back -back weekends, so I get to go in and check both sh one show out and then see what we can do with our presence there and then go actually go attend. That's PaizoCon not all Asia. hard work. Oh, no. Oh, no. I do <laughs> enjoy my job. I enjoy the, the worldwide travel. I enjoy trying new cuisine, so it's a nice fit. And PAX Unplugged? Yep, we'll be at PAX Unplugged. I'll also be at GameholeCon end of October, early November, and then... After PAX Unplugged early December, I get to take a couple of weeks to recharge the batteries, have the holidays. Uh, I think my January is kind of light, but we're actually doing our budgets and our travel schedules right now to get them approved end of August. So And then before you Gen Con 2020 is going to be here. It'll be here before <laughs> I know it. it. It's that oncoming cycle. It just ke keeps coming around. Paizo's kind of committed that they will be at Origins this year. They will. We're still doing our flagship PaizoCon. Uh, in Seattle, we've got PaizoCon UK actually going this weekend um, over in Birmingham. So I don't know if this is going up before then. They will uh, be coming back again, I believe, next year. So we're going to watch for their dates. Uh, it was an unfortunate scheduling occurrence that got them on the same weekend as Gen Con. But there, give a shout out to them. And we will be, again, UK Games Expo next end of next may and you also list on the paizo blog where you're going to be on a constant basis i do we try and take the first wednesday of every month to recognize any of our gms that have achieved that five star five nova soon to be five glyph for second edition rate because that that's a lot of commitment that's 600 hours of gming not including your preparation time and then we try and recognize anybody that's received a campaign coin because those are our volunteers that have lasted, you know, years and years and years with us and, and put in a lot of hours helping the, the campaign grow. We try and note all where the staff's going to be. So not just myself, but I try and keep, if I know Jason or the design team's going somewhere or other developers are going somewhere, I try and put them on it so people can say, oh, I'm in the area, I want to go out. We try and put a listing of conventions up as well so that people know where organized play is going to be in the future. So that one comes out the first Wednesday of every month. That's kind of our, our gold standard for that blog. I think you need an assistant. I'm hoping to get one in the next year. We're, we're in talks to add, <laughs> add a body to the OP team that is on the operations side, not on the editorial scenario side. Well, thank you so much for all your hard work and everything. I can't even believe, I already knew you did a lot, but after interviewing and listening to it, I'm surprised you're still breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I, I'm fueled by coffee. So coffee, and I really do, coming to events allows me to talk to the players and talk to the GMs and the volunteers, and it's their stories and their passion and their excitement that fuels me to go back and do what we do in the office so that we can deliver another high-quality program. Um, and it really is that, that cycle of feedback, move, go, 
And I love seeing these faces. There's nothing like standing on the stage at Gen Con and looking out over a thousand players at once playing your game and going, wow, this is huge. Yeah, I mean, I brought a couple of newbies here last night. First time they ever played organized play. First time they ever played Pathfinder 2nd. First time they were ever at Gen Con. And they couldn't believe it. I mean, they saw, they couldn't believe that everyone here was playing the same adventure too. They're like, everyone's playing. I'm like, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of people just yeah. playing in this like football sized arena. It's insane. We can fit 165 tables in here, plus our partner tables, our prize, our operations pieces. And yeah, it's just, we put the photos up, but the photos never quite do it justice until you walk in and you see what you're in and all the banners up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of live for Gen Con. Monday, I'll crash, burn, sleep for a week. But until then, bring it on. Let's have fun. So thanks again so much for being on the show. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you in the near future because I'll be at PAX at the least. I'll talk to you then. Sounds perfect. I'll see you then. Hey, everyone. Steve here. So thanks again, Tonya, for joining us. I'm sure I'll have you on the show again. Things were really crazy at Gen Con. It took me weeks to even just get an interview with her because she has been so busy organizing, well, thousands and thousands of games across multiple systems with thousands of volunteers. It is a complete and utter mess but in the best way possible. But it sounds like the team is getting bigger. She's going to get an assistant. So hopefully things will get a little bit calmer and I'll be able to get her on the show more often and we can talk all things Paizo. And speaking of organized play, I really got to get thirsty on the show again. He was the very first person I ever had on Roll for Combat and I haven't had him on the show in about two years. So I think I'm going to get him on the show and we can catch up in the world of Starfinder. And Linda Zayas Palmer, who's now in charge of quests, I'm going to be having her on the show in the very very near future so be on the lookout for that and as i said before be on the lookout for some organized play on this channel that's right i'm going to start out with quests i might be doing some of the other pathfinder 2 adventures as well i tell you pathfinder 2 plays so fast now i think it really lends itself very well to podcasts so i think i'm going to actually try to do this again only instead of having six players which is the, like the traditional table for an organized play i'm going to get it down to four because right now all the adventures are actually written for four and then they're written up to six as opposed to the other way around so now it's a lot easier to run pathfinder society adventures with just four people before it was really hard i'll be honest editing a podcast with six players and a gm seven people total it's a lot of work and that's one of the reasons i kind of stopped doing this but with four players and a gm i'm used to that that's pretty much what all of our other shows are so be on the lookout for that in the near future and don't forget, do check out the podcast. If you want to hear Dead Sun's Adventure Path, we're up to book five, but you don't have to start all the way at the beginning. You can start at episode 91, where we bring you all up to speed, and you can start right at the beginning of book five. We also just started the Fall of Plague Stone. We're right at the very beginning, so you can jump right into that. All new characters, all new players, all new system. And of course, do stick around as we have tons of interviews with tons of people from all over the industry. Be on the lookout for those in the near future. I have many more interviews with many more people from Paizo. And of course, do check out the website, rollforcombat.com, where we have reviews of every single major hardcover book by Paizo. So we have the core rules. We have the bestiary. We're going to have the Lost Omen World Guide very shortly. And then in the near future, we're going to have, well, a ton more. Alien Archive 3, all the new Lost Omen books that are going to be released by Paizo, and anything else in the near future. So be on the lookout for that. 
And then finally, we also even have two columns. That's right. If you listen to the podcast, you can check back at the website and check out Jason McDonald's Talking Combat and Talking Plaguestone columns, where he does a full recap of each and every episode so you can find out what happened in case you, I don't know, fell asleep or the dog was barking or you're watching TV and you were distracted during the podcast. You don't even have to go back and listen. You can just read Jason's column and find out everything that happened and be all caught up. Anyhow, with that, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you later.